is six o'clock, so I am calling this meeting to order. Um, this is the regularly scheduled April 13th meeting of the Shawnee Mission School District Board of Education. And our first item of business is the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, so rise to the best of your abilities and we'll say the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I will confess I missed the kiddos leading us in the pledge. <laughs> um, before we move on, let me just make sure we've got everybody here that I know that was going to plan on participating. Um, is everyone in the meeting, Dr. Fulton? Well, I'm not seeing Jamie Boardman, and so she may be having a difficult time getting logged on. If we can, uh, we can wait a moment to see. Have, if have, uh, Mr. Lane call her, okay. so that uh, I'm going to mute here real quick and. Okay. So that uh, I'm going to mute here real quick and. Okay. Okay, they, they are working on getting her uh, logged on, so we can wait just a minute. Hopefully she'll be able to join us. So maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll move for us to adopt the agenda and the meeting minutes, um, and then we can pause again when we get to the communication items, um, since the, the first few votes are just procedural and um, the five of us can manage those uh, while we're working out Jamie's technical difficulties. So I'm going to seek a motion for item 1.3, the adoption of the agenda. So moved. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Do I have a second for that? Second. Was that uh, Reverend Guy? Yes. Okay, great. Um, all those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes um, five zero. And then moving on to 1.4, approval of the minutes for the special meeting on March 23rd, 2020 to discuss personnel. I'll seek a motion for that. Hembry moved. Was that uh, Ms. Hembry? I'll second. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. All those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes uh, 5-0. So moving on to item 1.5, approval of the minutes for the special meeting on March 23rd uh, related to negotiations. I'll seek a motion. So moved. Uh, thank you, Dr. Sinclair. And a second? Second. Uh, thank you, Reverend Guy. All those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that also passes 5-0. Moving on to 1.6, approval of the minutes for the regular meeting on March 23rd, 2020. I'll so moved. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. And the second? I'll second. Oh. Mm. You know, I saw Dr. Stratton <laughs> say that, so I'm going to take that as her second. <laughs> All those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that also passes 5-0. And then moving on to our 
final approval of the minutes item 1.7 for the special meeting on March 30th, 2020. I'll seek the motion. So moved. I believe that was Ms. Hembry, is that correct? Yes, yes. great. And a second for that? I'll second. Thank so, you, Dr. Sinclair. Mm -hmm. uh, all those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? I'm hearing none on that, and so that also passes 5-0. Um, we're moving into communication items, but we're going to pause and wait for um, Ms. Borkman. Um, hopefully, they'll have figured out her technical issues here shortly. Mrs. Owsley, we're working on getting uh, Jamie on the meeting. My tech people is going to reach out to her. Her computer's giving her trouble, so it won't launch the applications she needs. We're going to try to get that fixed as quickly as Thanks, Mr. Lane. We, we will be patient. Was that Dr. Sinclair that made the um, second on 1.05? I, I couldn't hear who it was. I believe it was Dr. Sinclair. Okay, thank you. And I will try to say my name when I'm, this is Dr. Sinclair again. I'm sorry. Uh, I will try to acknowledge who's speaking. I forgot about that etiquette thank for you. the moment. My dog has managed to make it downstairs and he's sitting outside the door crying. Can anybody hear him? <laughs> no, we cannot hear him. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> oh. I did remember to lock my office door this evening so we will not have a small person wandering into our meeting tonight. I make no promises, Heather. I might have one on this thing. <laughs> Thank you. I, we will all have grace should it occur. That's right. I feel like I'm going to laugh at inappropriate times because <laughs> he is being quite entertaining, my dog. Hmm. We can let people know that Jamie Borgman was on with us in executive session, so we know that she's home and her computer was working just a few minutes ago, so we expect to see her face again very soon. And I'll add that Ms. Goodburn was not able to join us this evening, just so folks at home know that she was not able to attend. I feel like we ought to have elevator music playing in the background. Yeah, that's right. Um, Madam President, uh, what do you think about moving ahead with communication items? I think I am prepared, prepared to do that. Um, okay. We'll have Dr. Fulton begin with his superintendent report, okay. and we'll see where we're at when we get to board reports. Dr. Fulton, are you comfortable with moving ahead? I am comfortable with that. So why don't I go ahead and start? Let's go ahead and do that. Great. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, great to see you. And I uh, uh, want to say uh, also a shout out to those in the Shawnee Mission community that are listening in this evening. Well, as you know, continuous learning is underway. In our current reality, we have the important charge of educating more than 27,000 students from a distance. And in a few moments, we'll hear a program evaluation update on continuous learning and find out more about how things are going on in the district and what we're going to do to really understand that in more depth. Through continuous learning, we remain committed to ensuring, ensuring each student has a personalized learning plan that prepares them to be college and career ready, make sure they have the interpersonal skills they need for life success. Accomplishing this takes on new meaning as we address the challenge of meeting learning needs while buildings are closed. While it is challenging, we stand in a moment of opportunity, one that will allow us to better understand our strengths 
in providing distance learning and how we can all learn and serve our students better. We're addressing many of the challenges uh, that, that addressing a number of our challenges and I commend our community for the great job they are doing and supporting one another in this crisis. And I wanna thank everybody for the knowledge, the creativity, collaboration, and compassion that they're bringing to this moment in helping Shawnee Mission School District continue to be a great place to live, learn, and work. We're very excited about uh, those involved in the Princeton, Princeton, Princeton Prize for Race Relations. Samantha Morinville, Shawnee Mission North High School sophomore. Nadia Thurman, Shawnee Mission Northwest High School sophomore. And Holly Jackson, Shawnee Mission West High School senior, were honored by the Greater Kansas City Committee for the Princeton Prize in Race Relations with a certificate of accomplishment for their thoughtful efforts to improve the climate at their schools. This honor recognizes and rewards high school students who through their volunteer activities have undertaken significant efforts to advance racial equity and understanding in their schools and communities. If we go on to the next slide, the National Merit Program announced that 12 Shawnee Mission School District students are National Merit finalists. These students took the 2018 preliminary SAT National Merit Scholarship qualifying test, which serves as an initial screen for 1.6 million program entrants each year. They have an opportunity to advance in the competition for the National Merit Scholarship Awards. These scholarships worth $31 million will be offered this spring. We have a list of all honorees on the district website and we congratulate them on this accomplishment. And we go to the next slide. The Shawnee Mission North Navy Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps concluded its season on a celebratory note. A group of 15 team members earned first place over 54 competing schools who took the NJROTC National Academic Exam. The exam asked students to answer questions related to the NJROTC curriculum. The Shawnee Mission North NJROTC was preparing to compete in the NJROTC National Drill, Athletic, and Academic Championship when school closures were announced. This marks the 15th consecutive year the Shawnee Mission North NJROTC qualified for national competition. The Corps concluded their competition year with a perfect record of 42 and zero. Congratulations to them. And if we go to the next slide, I want to take a moment and encourage everyone to compete to complete their 2020 census. Census Day recently took place on April 1st but there's still time to fill out your census online, by mail, or by phone. Taking part is everyone's civic duty, and completing the census will help provide resources for Shawnee Mission students in the future. More information about the census can be found at www.jcocounts.org. And we go on to the next slide, I wanna give you an update on our meals. Starting this Wednesday, April 15th, the schedule for pickup and go meal distribution is changing. Pickup and go meal sites in the Shawnee Mission School District 
will distribute breakfast and lunch on Mondays and Wednesdays. On Monday, two days of breakfast and lunch meals will be provided. On Wednesday, three days of breakfast and lunch meals will be provided. Meals continue to be served from 1030 to 1130 at Comanche, Rose Hill, Shawano, and Hawker Grove Schools. More detail is posted on the district website, and we will include a link in the board recap. Also, people have raised the question about whether we would be able to keep feeding children in the event that we had a case of COVID-19 at one of our meal distribution sites. The answer is yes, we would. We've been intentional about planning our distribution in a way that would allow us to continue uh, to serve children in the event of a COVID-19 case. We've taken preventative measures, including frequent hand washing and social distancing measures at the distribution sites. If someone at a site is later diagnosed with COVID-19, we would follow the County Health Department's recommendations, and this would include close the specific site for cleaning and disinfecting, since each site operates independently, other sites could continue to operate. The second point that they make is ask all staff who had worked in close proximity, six feet for 10 minutes or more, with the infected staff member to quarantine for 14 days. And then finally, resume food service as normal with new staff after the site has been cleaned and disinfected. We're hoping that these procedures never need to be used, but if we need to use them, we're ready to do so. And if we go on to the next slide, this is National Public Health Week. We have much to be thankful for these days, but I did want to mention today our deep appreciation for our partners at the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment. Last week, marked Public Health Appreciation Week, and the health department in particular has been a tremendous partner as we work to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. We appreciate their expertise and guidance, which has helped us all to address this challenge. Stopping the virus and protecting our health system from being, becoming overloaded with patients will only work if all of us adhere to social distancing. We wanna thank our partners in health as well as those in our community working to keep our community safe. So even though that was a recognition that was said last week, we're gonna go ahead and do a shout out for them this week and thank them for all their good work. That concludes my report for this evening. Thank you, Dr. Fulton. Um, can we get an update from folks on our ability to get Jamie on the line before we move to board reports or they are still working with her to get her computer so that it will connect. Okay. Well. Mrs. Owsley, we're gonna try a slightly different approach. If you give us just a couple more minutes, we think we can get her to dial in. Okay. So she can at least she can at least hear the meeting, and then I will work with whether or not I can get her to actually participate in the meeting after we get her dialed in. Okay, that would be great. I'm willing to Wait a couple more minutes before we get to board reports if that's possible. Thank you. Thank you. Mrs. Borgman, can you hear us? 
I cannot. I can just hear you, Drew, but I can't hear the meeting. Well, the meeting isn't going right now, We're, but I can hear you. So it sounds like you're with us. This is Heather Elsley, board president. Oh, hello. Hello. Welcome to the meeting, Ms. Borgman. We're happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank okay. you very much. All right. All we've done thus far is approve the minutes from the previous meetings and Dr. Fulton did give his report. So we are now on item 2.2 of the board reports. Um, and as the SMAC PTA liaison, do you have a report to give us this evening or? Uh, Nothing to report, thank you. Excellent, thank you. Um, moving on to the foundation, um, Ms. Hembree, do you have a board report for us this evening? I just have a few small updates. I wanted to let folks know that the Distinguished Leader Speaker Series that the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation puts on that was originally scheduled for this month has been understandably, and like many things, postponed. We don't have a new date for that yet, but once we do, I'll be sure to share it. The second thing I wanted to note is that Scholarship Shawnee Mission is progressing as normal, and this is getting to the time frame where parents have the opportunity to opt their students into that. So I do highly encourage any parents who are out there listening to opt their children into the Scholarship Shawnee Mission opportunity. If you have questions about what that means, please do reach out to the foundation. Um, and then the third thing that I wanted to note is that I know this is a time when a lot of people want to find ways to support our community and we are hungry for ways to do that. Um, and the CARES Fund at the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation continues to be one of the best ways to support folks inside of our community. Um, the foundation is really planning and preparing for community needs to increase over the next few months as the district and our patrons and our students and their families um, deal with all the repercussions of COVID-19. So I I do highly encourage folks who can to give to the CARES Fund if you're looking for a way to support our community right now. Thank you. Um, moving on to uh, the KSB Board of Directors, our representative there is Reverend Laura Guy. Uh, KASB has been doing their spring roundtables virtually, of course, and I participated in one last week along with Mrs. Owsley and Dr. Sinclair. Um, I'm not, I don't know if other board members attended different ones because you could, you could participate in any of them. Um, but I thought they were helpful. They had their lawyers talk to us about some of the legal things related to COVID-19 responses and gave us an opportunity to ask questions and to even break into smaller groups, chat rooms to uh, talk to other board members from around the state, other administrators. And so I think it was helpful just to know that we're all struggling together to figure this out and we can learn from each other and support each other. And so I found it very helpful. KASB continues to do daily updates and, you know, the landscape is changing still constantly. And so they are a great source of information about what's going on at the state level and what are some of the best practices that districts are figuring out in this in this time of distance learning so they're a great resource i encourage board members and community members to use kasb as a resource and that's my report thank you um dr sinclair do you have an update for us as the kasb legislative liaison group of professional and parent educational advocates across the country to respond to the fourth round of federal um care acts you know the support for this period of the global pan the pandemic and so um, the conversation today was to look at whether or not um, 
the state would be interested in replying so that each of the state level organizations that reflect the national groups and what some of those priorities would be for education um, in the fourth round of aid. And some of those really are kind of identifying the stabilization aid um, that was kind of the bulk of the funds that uh, we re states received um, from the Great Recession. And then some of the other conversation was about kind of priorities around uh, special education, not only fully funding, but flexibility with special education, um, as well as um, the uh, kind of supporting the infrastructure for broadband access and for you know the hotspots and all that through the E-rates kind of program. So it was really just trying to identify what might be collective uh, interest in in having a Kansas response for which there was an overwhelming yes, and then how we might articulate our priorities as a state. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, moving on to the policy review committee, which met this past week, uh, Ms. Goodburn was not able to be with us this evening. Ms. Henbury, would you be willing to say something to this item or would you prefer if I do it? Because I did attend this meeting this week. Um, I'm happy to defer. I'm happy to. to, Ms. to policy I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you said. Are you talking about policy JA or something on tonight's agenda? Yeah, just to say the policy review committee met this week and what was discussed and just sure. a quick little update. I can do it if you would prefer, but if you, you would like to since you're a regular member. Yep, happy to. So um, we did meet this week Wednesday afternoon and reviewed a few policies. We're on the day series right now, which is around student um, conduct and discipline. And we'll be bringing a policy to the meeting in two weeks. And we have two on the agenda tonight that have been reviewed already and are now um, after that final. Thank you. Um, and then for the Finance and Facilities Committee, uh, Mr. Stratton, would you care to speak to that? I think an email went out to ask for availability for a meeting, but I'll let you let us know what's going on with that. That's right. The meeting was scheduled to uh, take place a couple weeks ago. We've uh, done, done a reset, uh, pulled the members of the committee. We have some dates and I'll defer to Dr. Sinclair. Did we narrow it down to one? Well, I believe we wanted to identify at least two um, and we have um, a couple of dates we can all meet. So I believe we need to get back and verify. Move mm -hmm. forward. But we have some dates coming up in the next week or so. Yep. Thanks. Great. Okay, well, that looks like it concludes our board reports. And so we're going to move on to item 2.03, which is uh, public comment. Um, we are moving to, I'm going to seek a motion to approve to suspend the board policy BCBI for tonight's meeting, um, operationalizing public comment for the online meeting this evening wasn't feasible. So we're suspending it for the April 13th, 2020 online meeting. Uh, community members are welcome to continue to reach out to the board via email or by phone. Um, during this period of transition, we uh, encourage parents um, to direct their questions and concerns through their child's teacher or their principal. And for staff members, their questions and concerns are most efficiently addressed through their district supervisor or the appropriate district department. Uh, we understand that the public has a great interest in the board's decisions and the district's operations. So we're going to make sure that we can do our best that so that community members can follow the board discussion um, and that speakers announce who they are or that the board president myself uh, speaks to whoever it was that spoke so that people know 
um, what's going on and who's participating. Um, with regard to the agenda and the materials discussed during the meeting, those as always can be found on board docs. And um, we are looking into seeing a couple other things to see if we can have uh, public comment during the digital meetings. Um, and we will revisit it at the next meeting to see where we're at. So at this time, I will seek a motion to suspend public comment for this evening's meeting. So moved. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? All right, hearing none at this time, that passes 6-0. Uh, and we're moving on. We have a continuous learning program evaluation update for item 3.1 and I'll turn it over to Dr. Fulton so that he can kick that off for us. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Well, we're uh, very excited to bring to you this evening our uh, a program evaluation. You know, as part of our, as part of our submission to the state for our continuous learning plan, one of the, uh, one of the requirements is that we evaluate of our plan student learning. And so what we're gonna to do tonight is give you an overview of that plan in terms of what our what our intention is with our evaluation process. But I think what's important to note here is that this is an evaluation process not just for continuous learning, but for uh, some topics that we've been working on uh, for the last several months to, uh, to better understand what have been being technology. And it's also reflective of commitment to high quality program evaluation that allows us to ask questions of our work, collect data, look at research, to begin to answer the question, how can we take our strengths and get even better going forward? Joining me tonight for this presentation are uh, Dr. Michelle Hubbard, Associate Leadership and Learning, Dr. Darren Dennis, Director of Curriculum Assessment and Instruction, Dr. Dan Grumman, Coordinator of Assessment and Research, Andrew Lane, Executive Director of uh, Technology. And they're going to uh, partner with me here in giving this presentation. I want to start off on this first slide just reminding ourselves of, of our purpose. In our mission statement, we are very clear about the fact that we believe the Shawnee mission is a bridge to unlimited opportunities for our students. And the second slide speaks clearly to our destination. This notion that every student will have a personalized learning plan that prepares them to be college and career ready and ensures that they have the life skills that they need for life success. The third slide really begins to talk about each one of those elements in a bit more detail. We talk about students developing a plan. Uh, we're, it, it is all about them working on their personal academic success. We want them to challenge themselves and we want them to think about what their personal plan looks like for the long term. That is something that uh, that is important to every single learner that we serve. And it looks different, of course, depending on the age of the learner. We also wanna make sure that every child is developing and utilizing personal resilience, while also making sure that they have the essential competencies or priority standards that lead them to be college and career ready. 
you know, it's interesting. Life was going along pretty normal for quite a long time. And then middle of March, we had a big disruption. And it really begins to test our ability to deliver instruction in meaningful ways. It also causes us to reflect on what matters most. And so we are choosing to really focus on priority standards during this period of time, because we know that those are foundational for students' future success. And then of course, we also know that interpersonal skills are absolutely critical for life success. And we wanna make sure that our students are empathetic members of both our community and the global community. With that, uh, I wanna take you to a slide that we actually looked at last fall where we talked about learning. And the fact that if you wanna improve learning outcomes in a school district, you really have to be able to look at your use of time, the structures that you uh, engage learners in, and the instructional strategies that we use as professional staff. It's in this moment, uh, the use of time has changed, hasn't it? Certainly the structure, and so too have our instructional strategies. Now, we all look forward to the day when we begin to interact with each other in person. Where children are interacting with each other and their teacher, that is a, the, the most powerful learning model of all. And we recognize that. I also want to take a moment to thank our parents, our students, and our teachers for the great job that they're doing and working through this new reality. But we'll continue as we go forward to look at the way in which we use time, the structures that we design, and the instructional strategies that we use to make sure that we're fulfilling our mission and achieving our three objectives. With that, I wanna turn it over to Dr. Hubbard, who's gonna to speak to uh, the objectives that we had in our continuous learning plan. Dr. Hubbard. So Drew, if you can take me to the next slide, please. I just want to go back to something Dr. Fulton said and um, really bouncing back to those three objectives in the strategic plan. This continuing learning um, plan that we've submitted to the state really is an opportunity for us to focus on those three objectives, um, really specifically focusing on the priority standards at each grade level and or content and um, to be able to look at students' needs and have students self-guide those needs based on feedback from a teacher. And um, that's happening probably more now than I've seen it happen in a really long time because kids are able to learn at their own pace and, and work as much as they need to do and get feedback from teachers. So that's been exciting as we've worked through this continuing learning plan. But moving forward, we know that it's gonna be really important to evaluate this work. Um, and that's all new for us. We don't, we don't have a blueprint that we can follow. So we have a team that's been working pretty diligently on this for the last two weeks. Drew, can you progress for me? And so right now we're working um, as a team to look at, um, there you go, thank you. Um, we're gonna be collecting data and really uh, a variety of data in these three areas, academics, social, emotional, and technology. Um, our process for that right now is going to be surveys, both for students, parents, and staff. We'll be using Thought Exchange. Um, we have our first one queued up coming soon. And then focus groups 
um, depending on availability and just time permitting as we really want to start gathering this information quickly so that we can adjust our practice as we go to best meet the needs of our both staff, but mostly students. And then uh, the, this is a program evaluation to look at continuous learning. However, I, I want to add that we'll be using this data um, to contribute to future program evaluations in, in many areas, academics, special education, technology, just to name a few, but we would probably have many, many more that we can use this data for in future program evaluations. And with that, I'm going to turn it to Darren and Dan to talk a little more specific about that. Thank you. Um, the instructional materials that we are using through this process and as well as when we return to a more normal uh, operation, whatever materials we choose are going to be focused on student learning. Uh, that's true of digital as well as print materials. Um, we are always focused on how do they support the strategic plan and how do, that mission that we all have to develop personalized learning plans, to have students become college and career ready and having interpersonal skills that uh, so they can experience life success. Um, that we will never choose a technology product for the sake of having a technology product. We will choose a tool in order to help us accomplish those goals. Listed on this slide are some tools that students are using and uh, now as well as during um, times when we are uh, in a more normal course of, of school. And you can see here how they relate to uh, that, that goal, that strategic plan. And there's quite a bit of overlap. There's, it, Zello, for example, is about, it is literally about personalized learning. It connects students' personal interests with their college and career planning. And they develop a personal course plan through that, all students beginning in grade seven, that they use and they can, from there, develop resources such as resumes that are personalized to their needs that help them make connections in college or career and, and beyond. Um, we're also going to be bringing to you uh, a little bit later in the build in the meeting, uh, some other resources that, that you can see here listed and their connections to college and career readiness. So Redberg, for example, is a supplemental math resource at the elementary level, and it's used for personalized uh, skill development. It's an adaptive program that allows students to address skill gaps um, to their learning progression. And it provides feedback not only to teachers, but also more importantly to the students themselves as they monitor their, their learning. Learn360 is a, a tool that is used. It's housed in our libraries, but it's used in classrooms throughout the districts and students and teachers have access to uh, materials that allow them to support their research. Thousands and thousands of vetted materials are in the hands of teachers and students thanks to our ability to provide this resource that we otherwise would not be able to provide to our, to our students. And you can see there a variety of uh, types of materials that we're able to provide that are vetted and appropriate for school. And finally, Edgenuity, which is of course an online learning tool, and it provides options for us that we otherwise would not be able to provide. Uh, options for distance learning for 
uh, students to recover credit in a new way, to be able to reach students who are homebound, uh, who otherwise wouldn't be able to access the curriculum, and for students who are suspended but and, and otherwise might not be able to uh, move forward with their learning. Um, and we know what happens when when that break happens. They they don't if they don't make pr progress, it's easy to fall behind and drop out. There, it's aligned to our curriculum, and it uh, provides a variety of options for our students aligned to our our core mission. So I'll turn it over now to Drew Lane. Hey, Dr. Dennis. So when you hear the leadership and learning team talk about the academic goals that they have. They mentioned that they're using a variety of tools, some of those tools being digital. It reminds me the mission critical status of what we do, the ICT team does in support of those things. And so on this slide, see a number of talking points there where we talk about in, in general, getting those tools or getting, getting the devices that allow students to access those tools. And there's a number of reasons why we pursue and we maintain these refresh cycles for the devices themselves. And obviously the devices provide kind of a bridge or a window into some of those resources that, um, that Dr. Dennis and Dr. Hubbard spoke to. But it also allows us an opportunity to prepare for the future, to prepare for the unknowns. And, and it's, Current circumstance is a is a very stark presentation of the type of circumstance that we need to be prepared for and that we can be prepared for. And so you'll 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 hear us talk about that when we talk about device refreshes. We also recognize that there is there is no sitting still when it comes to evaluating what we do, when it comes to looking at looking at the devices and how they're configured, when it comes to looking at the, the back end. Uh, platforms that support all of the devices that we have and that support access to the resources that we adopt. And so when we do that, we think about things like, are there other people in our district that should have access to devices that don't? And is there something about them being able to achieve their mission critical objectives that would help with that? And and then we, we look at uh, you know, additional things around, what is it for like students? access at home is is content filtering at school and content filtering at home are they are they equivalent in terms of do they offer the same level of access whether they're at home or not these are these are points that we we look at we review internally inside the department we work with in collaboration with our our partners in the leadership and learning team and so we do look at the, the, the applications and the platforms that we have deployed, and we ask ourselves the questions, do these applications, do these platforms, do these devices, do they meet the needs of our students? Do they provide a constructive method for the leadership and learning team to provide resources and teachers to conduct teaching? And if they don't, take a harder look at that and say, how can we do it better? What can we do different? Are there other things out there that will allow us to provide that kind of support that the leadership and learning team needs, that our students need, that our teachers need to help our students 
um, plan for their futures, be college and career ready, acquire those interpersonal skills that we know they have to have. And so all of that is part of the strategy or it is a, it is a, a moment of inertia, if you will, around how we strategize for the future, how we decide on the refresh cycles, how we decide on device configurations and those types of things. With that, I would turn it back over to Dr. Fulton. Okay, and I know the board may have some uh, questions, so why don't we open up the board questions. I'll be, uh, when you pose a question, just to make it a little bit easier, I'll, I'll just direct traffic here to the appropriate team member to uh, respond. Um, what I'd like to do is just go through my list of board members who are in the meeting tonight so I can make sure that I'm catching everybody and not missing somebody like trying to give me a hand signal that they want to speak. So um, if I can, I'll start off with Reverend Guy. Do you have some questions you'd like to pose this evening? I don't have any right now. I'm going to listen to the conversation. And if I have one later, I'll make okay. a motion, a wave or something. Okay. Um, Mr. Stratton, do you have any questions this evening regarding this item? No questions as yet. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Sinclair, I feel like I know you're going to have questions. So do you have any questions this evening? I think you're muted. There you yeah. go. Uh, I might just start with one and um, we can circle back. Um, the uh, the um, process of forming the evaluations on on the use of um, technology. I, I just kind of want to get maybe get some clarification. I see the use of technology as a tool. So we're going to evaluate the use of a tool, which in my mind is different from a program where I see special education as a program. Um, and so to me, those questions and trying to understand, um, for example, uh, how the district um, can improve our use of technology. Um, when you think of it as a tool, you form a different kind of evaluation question. So am I thinking about that, Dr. Fulton, in the same way you are and our leadership team? Yeah, I believe that you are. You know, this program evaluation is not a single event that happens this spring. It's gonna be uh, work that's gonna, that has already started will continue this spring kind of in this unique circumstance where we can collect some interesting uh, data that's going to be very helpful. But it will continue on into uh, into the fall and early winter as we gear up for that presentation next year to you. I think the, uh, there are some things that we can find out right away. For example, we're going to have a very good understanding of the level of connectivity for all of our students. It's one thing to have a device. You don't have Wi-Fi access. That uh, that's an inhibitor. We recognize that for some learners, uh, devices can work very well. For other things, they may prefer to have uh, other approaches, paper, textbooks, whatever. So that what we're going to focus on right now has to do with the home piece of this. Connectivity, looking at the VPN issues, uh, asking are there better strategies that we can use going forward. You know, originally we were going to do a pilot this spring. Uh, as I think was mentioned, that wasn't that's not going to be possible because we have to physically have those uh, those laptops or iPads in our possession in order to run a pilot as an alternative to the VPN. 
And so uh, what we're gonna do instead is we're gonna reach out to get parent input, also reach out uh, to districts in the area around the country to see effective for them. Those are the kinds of things that we can do right now. Once we get back in school, we're gonna be able to, to do some additional deeper analysis with parents, students, staff, as we think about the use of this tool. And by the way, I think it's an important point. Technology, these devices and the software that goes with it, they're just, they are just tools for learning. It's not the end all and be all. So, you know, every tool has to be used in appropriate ways. It all comes back to the instructional process and what helps children learn. That's what we want to get a better handle on. It's not just with technology, but with the instructional processes that we use in general. So hopefully that, that answered your question. Thank you. And I can hold off for now, see if anyone else has questions. Okay. Um, Ms. Embry, do you have any questions this evening on this item? I do. I, I wanted to ask just a, a clarifying question because I know that we will be voting later on tonight on renewing a lease for additional iPads for the coming three years. And that was previously placed on the board agenda and then delayed so that we could answer some questions um, and do some more kind of in-depth research and evaluation of the utility of those devices and ensuring that we're using them to maximum effectiveness. And there was conversation at that point in time about um, kind of a, a rigorous evaluation of the, the iPad. Um, and, and I think what I'm hearing tonight is that we're doing more of an evaluation of consumers learning writ large. Are these two separate evaluations or are they one evaluation that we're merging together? It's, uh, we're going to, there are pieces of the same evaluation. How's that? Because when you, when you look at a, at, a, at a program evaluation that involves the use of technology, there's a lot of different aspects of technology use. And so data that we're collecting this spring will feed into that bigger program evaluation that we'll be engaged in during the fall and bring, bring to you in the winter. That bigger evaluation is, is still happening because- Oh, yeah. The device- the way devices are being used at home is not necessarily indicative of how they are used in the classroom environment. That's um, right. So the other is still ongoing. This is a different thing. That, that's this is this is this is a part of the bigger whole of the, of the program evaluation process. You know, the, the one thing about our current context is is that we're able to really. Uh, kind of dig a little bit deeper than we would have otherwise with the uses at home. For example, one of the things that we uh, we know we we're working through was the VPN issue early on. And I might have Drew speak to that a little bit because we've are, we're already collecting data on what's working, what isn't when it comes to v, VPN. You mind if I go ahead and have him address that now? It would be appreciated, yes, please. Okay, Drew, why don't you go ahead and talk about kind of what we've learned about the VPN during this experience over the last several weeks. And how Certainly, <laughs> a very brief, a very brief history of the district and the use of a VPN. Let's talk about that very briefly, and then we'll talk about some of the things we have learned in in the, in the interim time here um, when we've all been at home. So the we have certain statutory requirements when it comes to student access to online content, and um, most every school district in the United States now um, is is 
compelled to have content filtering. And that content filtering is, is designed to help adhere to federal statute if you're an E-rate school. Uh, but most every state today also has a, a state level version of, of the Children's Internet Protection Act. And so when the district went to one-to-one -one, uh, about seven years ago, it, the decision was made that the devices needed to be content filtered at school and also at home. At that time, the, the best option out there for us to make sure, for the district to make sure that the student devices were content filtered when they were off campus was to capture that traffic in a secure tunnel, a virtual private network tunnel, back to district's content filter and have the content filtering done that way. Now, it's no secret that a virtual private network, that that secure tunnel has more overhead in terms of operation than, a, than an unsecured or a non-tunneled bit of traffic. And so there's always been a certain amount of VPN performance that had to be taken into account. But again, at the time, that really what was, that's, that's really what was out there and was available that met requirements that the district had. Over time, we've, we've looked at that. Uh, we've noticed internally, we've heard from our students, we've heard from our parents, our teachers, our patrons, that at different points in time, people have VPN issues. Trying to find the silver lining in a situation that we're in right now, what we've looked at is, okay, those VPN issues, what are, what are, what are the impactors for that? And the very first day we came back as, as a school district to, to, to operate in a, in a continuing learning plan, um, we had some hardware issues with the devices that maintain student VPN. We analyzed that, we took measures to fix it, did fix it, and it took, us, uh, it took us about four hours during that Monday to go through that process. Tuesday comes around and we start to get reports of very similar issues. But, but this time the reports that were coming in pointed us in a couple of other directions. And so over time what we've discovered is that with the VPN traffic, VPN connection overhead, students who are at home, their connection may have additional challenges. One of the things we notice is that there is a, a cyclical pattern in spikes and valleys in internet traffic in general. We notice that every almost every day during uh, the, the mid-morning to mid to late morning hours, we see an, uh, a number of VPN issue claims come in, and it seems to coincide with a significant uptick in traffic that happens as the West Coast comes online. Some other things we have found in troubleshooting the tickets that come into us is that some people have an internet service provider that doesn't support the use of VPN on the equipment that they have. And this goes back to equipment that can be as much as six years old. Now, all of these things, all, all of these reasons for some of the VPN issues that we've experienced does not in any way, shape or form excuse the ICT department from its obligation to continue to work to get better. At providing these resources. If anything, the discoveries we're making now about student connectivity at home, whether or not their home connection will support a VPN or not, how much we can actually support when we're talking about everyone being on their device off campus. This is all 
valid data that, that, that we are gathering as we look at a project for something other than a VPN-based content filter. And I wanna, I wanna emphasize here that, that looking at that was something that has been in progress. It was one of our, it was one of our designated major projects for the current school year. We actually started looking at how we were going to do that at the very tail end of the previous school year. And so this was being done in parallel to support, yes, iPad connectivity, but also every other student device, every other MacBook that's at home that might be in a similar situation. Our plan was to, this spring, have a pilot that would include uh, people inside the district, but also reach out to some of our patrons outside the district and ask them if they would be willing to test the platform with us to help us better understand how it impacts them when they're at home. Dr. Fulton alluded to, very challenging, if not, it, it, it's actually prohibitive for us to do that now because of the, the, the need, the potential need to touch those devices, to have hands on those devices. The long and the short of it is that over time we have outgrown and, and we recognize that we have outgrown what VPN connectivity can provide us in terms of off-campus content filtering. But until very recently, there weren't a lot of very good options for a district our size with the number of devices that we have for off-campus content filtering. We feel confident that there are now, and we've been looking at those, and that's kind of where we are today. So between, between overhead in, in, the, in the tunnel itself, between some challenges that we know our, our families are having at home with internet connectivity, period, and some of the challenges that we know we have with the platform itself. These are all things that we were, we're working through, but have also provided us ample data to give us that moment of inertia to move forward and look at something different, look at something better. Look at something that will provide access to those services we talked about earlier on, on, on a more equitable, equitable level for, for all students. It, we recognize, ICT recognizes, I recognize that a student having a device at home does them very little good if their device won't connect and the rest of their classmates' devices will. That is absolutely something we recognize and, and, and I feel very deeply about the fact that we need to do the very best we can to address that. And I believe we have a very good plan for doing that and addressing it in the very near term. Well, I'll add, I'll add to that, you know, this is part of the data collection that we're going to do this spring with parents uh, in particular, because we need to find out what their desires are in content filtering, what kind of feedback loops they'd like to have. There is no perfect period. So we know that, but there may be content filters that work better than the VPN that provide parents with the kind of feedback loop that they need they feel like they have a good handle on how their children are using the device when they're when they're at home. So. Well, before I move on to Ms. Boardman, I have questions related to that myself. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump in with my own questions. Um, first, I want to say that as I'm also working from home right now and experiencing sometimes te technical difficulties on my own devices, um, I feel for you guys, I know you're doing the IT team is doing a, a real heavy lift with getting all of us um, 
online at the same time. And so I appreciate the work you guys are doing. Um, one of the questions I've received regarding the VPN is that um, parents aren't able to go in and restrict things that they would restrict above and beyond what the district itself has restricted. And so there's been some frustration on that. Um, and I, and that they're having, they don't know exactly how to monitor their kids' own devices. And I think you guys provided some information to Ms. Hembry on an app um, parents could download on their own device to keep track of that information. Could you speak to that a little bit at this time? Mr. Lane, I'll have you do that. Absolutely. Yes, at this point in time, we do have something called Screen Guide. It works for iPads. It's, it's an iPad only solution right now. It does offer parents additional insights and controls over the student's device at home. I think more importantly, what we want to focus in on here is that this is, this is an area where we have the opportunity to evaluate a solution that does that better. The challenge with VPN is that it encapsulates that traffic. And by encapsulating that traffic, it does not allow for outside intervention in that traffic. So if I'm a parent at, a, at my house and I want to put parental controls on, on my home internet router to filter, additionally filter that traffic, the use of VPN doesn't allow that. And that's a limitation of the technology. If we step back in time just a little bit, what we have to recognize is that there was a point in time not too long ago where additional controls at the home level were either not very well developed or not very many people knew about them and how to use them. And so VPN provided for us, it provided us kind of a quote unquote lead pipe lock guarantee that content filtering was gonna take place. The world has moved since then. That's the, I mean, the, the, the one thing you can count on in the world of technology is that it will change. What was true yesterday may not be true today and probably won't be true tomorrow. So as we look at these different solutions, one of the aspects we're taking a very close look at is whether or not a person at home, a parent at home, can apply additional content filtering using their own home router and whatnot. And solutions that don't require VPN are more capable of those types of allowances. Now, um, would they be as successful as blocking things for parents who do not have the technical expertise to go in and put the blocks in themselves? So, like I know one of the benefits of the VPN is that it is filtering out everything, even for people like me who do not consider themselves to be super technologically savvy. Um, I can just rely on what the district has done. But if we're moving to a different system that allows for more parental control. What if the parent is like me who doesn't really know what to do with that? Um, the safeguards are in place to make sure that there's a, there's a bare minimum floor of protection. And then if parents want to go in and put in more, they can. Is that, am I interpreting that accurately? That's an outstanding question. The content filter solution that we would, pick, we would pick going forward would do at least as good a job as what we have right now, regardless of whether or not parents at home are technically proficient enough to apply their own content filter. Absolutely are going to be compliant to the letter of the law, and we're gonna do our, our very best to be compliant to the spirit of the community. This would be a platform that then would allow parents, if they chose to do so, 
and had the technical know-how to do it to apply additional controls, additional filtering. But the filtering you have today without having to touch the device or do anything to it at all, that would be kind of the baseline of what we would look to be able to do, whether you're on campus or off. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. I appreciate that. Um, and then I have a question about apps, but we're not actually discussing apps right now. So I'm going to allow uh, Ms. Boardman, do you have any questions? Because I didn't get to you on the first round. Can you hear me? I, I can hear you. Yes. Okay. There's an echo. Hold on. Okay. So my first, I have a couple of questions. Um, my first question is in terms of the online learning utilization, have there been a significant number of students who have participated in our online learning? Or what has that been like so far? So far, so far. Sorry, we've got a little bit of Are we okay, you? Mrs. Borgman, I think you may still be dialed into the meeting with your phone. You could hang the phone up. I do see you in the meeting um, that you weren't as, in a way you weren't in before. So if you hang the phone up and then we can unmute your microphone, I think we'll eliminate that echo. Can you hear me okay? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> okay, there we go. A little ironic that we're having um, that I'm having technical difficulties during a discussion about tech. So there you go. Well, it happens. Uh, could you repeat the question, please? We'll make Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And again, I do apologize. Well, I guess first I want to just tell Drew and the entire tech team what a phenomenal job you all have done in just a short period of time. Really, just making sure that kids are able to learn at home um, and really just trying to problem solve and get to the bottom of some of these, you know, VPN issues. And um, so I really want to thank you and applaud you for all the efforts because I know that it's been a huge task. Um, so I have a couple questions. My first question is um, with regards to the online learning utilization, have there been a lot of Shawnee Mission students who have taken part in the online learning that we've offered? There have been quite a few. I'll have uh, Mr. Lane speak to that in more detail. I will say this, though, that that is part of the research that we're going to engage in this spring. We really want to get a good handle on uh, what the level of engagement was with online learning, who has access to Wi-Fi in their homes, because that has implications for how we use technology going forward. But I know, Mr. Lane, you've been doing a little bit of research on that. Uh, with more to come. Would you like to make some comments about that? I can give you some very raw numbers right now. We're definitely going to be monitoring this as, as we go down the road a little bit further. I'd like to have, I'd really like to have an additional 30 days under our belt before we solidify that these numbers are the numbers. But I can tell you that as we've looked at it here recently, we have seen 93% uh, of the district's iPads that have been deployed, 96% of the MacBook Airs check in. That tells us those devices have been turned on, they have gotten online, and their devices checked into the mobile device management system. So about 93% of our iPads, 96% of our MacBook Airs. Uh, that does include students and teachers. 
So you're looking you're looking at uh, a grand total of around thirty thousand devices total, and those percentages again. You know, would I would I take those percentages to the bank today? Not yet. I think they're going to bear out. I really do. I think that we'll, we will see those numbers bear out. But we would like to have some additional time, make sure that those that's not some sort of an anomaly that it does does remain in that area. Okay. Um, so. Thank you for sharing that data with me, uh, and I will be interested to see, you know, how much students are actually participating in on online learning. Um, so, you know what, I'm going to pass. Go ahead. I think someone else had another question, and then I'll come back to what, what I needed to ask. Sure. I'll just start back up at the beginning again. Um, Reverend Guy, do you have any questions at this time? No, I don't. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Stratton, do you have any questions at this time? No questions. Thank you. Dr. Sinclair, do you have any follow-ups? I'm okay for now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Embry, do you have any additional questions at this time? I have just a couple couple short questions. Um, one is, I was curious, it does sound like this is a, a part of a larger evaluation when we would expect to hear a timeline and what the contents of that broader program evaluation would be regarding our sort of technology program at large. Sure, we'll know a little bit more uh, as we head into the uh, beginning of the next of the 2021 school year. Uh, what the scope of that evaluation will be. Okay, thank you. That will give you an idea of what you can expect uh, to receive in January or so. I'm saying winter of 21 because I'm assuming it's going to be in the January, February timeframe. We haven't set an actual date yet. Thank you. And then my other question, I've heard from a few parents who were hoping to pick up their kids' textbooks and other things from school if they're struggling with the devices or whatnot. Is that, um, is that a possibility for parents? Uh, absolutely. I have Dr. Hubbard speak to how we've been uh, working with parents to help them get the materials that they need for learning. Dr. Hubbard? Absolutely. So our buildings have been open from 10 to 2 on Mondays and Thursdays for a variety of purposes, but essential learning being primary, the primary purpose. So we've deployed K2 iPads in that time. We've um, Parents have picked up crucial information like inhalers or medicine that was left in the nurse's office. Um, we I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't heard of anyone saying I need a textbook right now, but principals are dealing with those on a case-by-case -case basis. So if there is a parent that is and has been wanting a textbook, um, they, their first stop would be to go to their classroom teacher and then to their building principal, and we would do our best to do that. However, today was our last day for our buildings to be open, um, at least through this crucial um, time with COVID through the peak time. So we'll probably be reopening those buildings, but as of right now, we, I don't know when that's going to be. So there's a lot of questions around broken iPads or if I need a textbook, but for this week and likely for next week, we're trying to keep all of our people home and safe. Um, so those buildings will not be open, but we're hoping to reopen that following week. Uh, the, I guess would be the, probably the 27th. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, did you have another follow-up, Ms. Embry? No. Nope. Okay. 
Um, I'll circle back. Ms. Wardman, do you have another follow-up? Yeah, um, there's been a lot of questions and concern about cost um, with the technology refresh. And, um, you know, can we talk about that a little bit, just kind of the cost analysis and if there are some benefits to going ahead and, and doing this refresh now versus waiting? Sure, I'll have uh, Mr. Lane speak to that. Uh, certainly. So the refresh strategy we've been using is to find a balance between the best useful life of the device and that optimal point where it has the most resale value so that when we sell them, we can regain some of the capital we spent on this refresh. With the iPads, we've discovered that the kind of best place there is three years. Um, the iPads retain their the best possible value at the end of three years, and so we get get capital back on that. If we wait another year on, on the iPads, um, they'll lose about 60% of the value, give or take, of what we would have had in them if we go with three years. And so that's kind of the balance that we have found for the iPads. For student MacBooks, it's a little bit different. It's it's four years. And then for student lab devices, computers that, that don't move around much that are stationary, tends to be five years is, is the best. For the iPads, we found it to be three years to get the best useful life out of them and at the same time get the most resale value back. Did that answer the question you had? Yeah, Drew, thank you. I mean, is there, do we know kind of a roughly of a dollar amount or something that perhaps this could be um, beneficial to the district or is that, would that be purely guessing? No, uh, on the, on the resale value, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at approximately $1.75 million to get back on the resale of the devices by doing the refresh at this time. Okay. So and, if I yeah, yeah. So if I'm understanding you correctly, if we waited a year, we would potentially lose $1.75 million when we send our old iPads back. Is that accurate? I'm, I'm Ms. Borgen, I'm, I'm sorry. My headphone cut out just slightly. Will you ask me that again, please? Sure. So would there potentially be a cost savings then by moving ahead with this now of $1.57 1.75 million dollars is that am i understanding you correctly yes yes our estimation is that if we waited an additional year uh, you would immediately lose about 60 percent of those dollars in the resale value the other thing that uh, that we have to take into account is that at the end of three years we no longer have apple care plus on those devices so everyone that breaks and has to be repaired uh, there's there's a, a an actual and realized cost to the district for doing that so you would have, not only would you lose about 60% of those dollars you would have gotten back on a resale, you've got to spend more dollars to repair more devices for that fourth year because A, they're not covered by Apple Care Plus anymore, so we don't get a break on that. And B, as the devices get older, um, they they tend to fail anyway. Right. So, so from a cost perspective, this, this is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, 
And then secondly, with regards to content filtering, I know this is something, I mean, I have three kids in Shawnee Mission, one in high school, one in middle school, and one in elementary school, which I can't say that much longer, and that's sort of sad. Um, the content filtering is a big deal for parents. With an iPad refresh, and I know that this is more speaking to elementary level, but will content filtering be easier or um, a little bit tighter, I guess, um, with a refresh? will. Is there some benefit, I guess, um, from a content filtering perspective with a newer device? So that goes back to that parallel project we've been working on around content filtering, where we are evaluating not only the platform, but we've also been working with the leadership and learning team on our approach to content filtering. So that project will have an impact on, on content filtering for iPads. But again, I want to make sure I emphasize that the content filter change would be beneficial or impactful to all student devices, not just the iPads, but all sure. student devices. Right. Yeah. Um, and then just one other question, and I'm, this is a really um, sensitive topic for me, as I'm sure it is for, for many others, but um, with regards to the end of, or the program evaluation, I know, um, Dr. Fulton, you had mentioned that this is, you know, um, there's several little groups meeting kind of to answer one big question. Um, and I know that you, you guys have all done so much work in such a short amount of time. Uh, so I really do appreciate that. I just, in terms of, um, you know, the year of study that we are going to take, um, I don't, it sounds to me like that's not going to go away correctly. Am I correct in that? Assuming that Dr. Fulton. No, that's correct. You know, program evaluations are part of a continuous improvement process. So whether those uh, program evaluations are related to technology, college and career readiness, it really begins to dive deeper into our practice. And when you look at improving practice, that's not a one-time shot. That's something that you do over a long period of time. So while we may not do uh, every program evaluation uh, every year, there are some program evaluations such as uh, uh, those dealing with college and career readiness indicators, for example, where we will do them every year. Because we want to be looking at meaningful data that helps us understand what's working, what isn't, and why. And so if you design these program, program evaluations well from the beginning, and you can begin to pose some questions that you're going to ask year after year. You're going to collect data on those questions over time. And that's going to give you an, an understanding of whether we're getting better or not on some of those key measures that matter most. So this is not a one and done deal. This is a, a part of a long-term commitment to continuous improvement. Well, Will there be a committee or a group that will act sort of independently, I guess, um, to analyze and review technology? Um, I think that's something that is on the, the minds of a lot of um, parents out there is some type of an independent evaluation um, and or review of technology. Is that part of the big picture? and analyzing the data uh, technology? Sure. Well, when you get into program evaluation, to the greatest extent that you can, you run them internally. 
But there are times when it's helpful to bring in outside groups to help you in developing uh, the items, for example, or to help you with the analysis. So it's possible that with any of these program evaluations that we could look to external sources. But when you do that, you got to make sure that those groups have the ability to help you actually measure the outcomes that you're intending for that for that program for that use. You know, we want to look at the extent to which, for example, um, uh, the instructional strategies and the tools that we use help us to get to those three objectives. Zillow is one example. That is a program. I wouldn't turn over the evaluation of that program to uh, any company that actually is running our service for us. I want to do that independent of them to see if that product is helping us to get to the game that we're trying to uh, help our students be successful at. And that game is the game of learning, obviously. And in the case of college and career, in the case of uh, personalized learning plans, it's about actually having a tool that helps them develop those plans, set goals, reflect on where they are in their growth, and uh, and supports them both at school and at home in that process. So um, that's something that we're willing to look at. But I've done program evaluations for a lot of years. And one of the things you want is independence. You want objectivity, but it also ought to be something that is uh, fundamentally involves uh, the staff that you have running them for you. If you need outside assistance, then you get outside assistance from them. So would you see some type of a group made up of parents, teachers? And so when I say outside, I mean just like outside of a, like a Shawnee Mission employee. Um, so would you sure. see parents? Um, being a part of such an evaluation process? As, it, as it's appropriate, and I'll give you an example. One of the things that we want to do is we want to find out more about what parents want in a filtering system when, for when these devices are in their homes. That's why we're going to reach out and pose some very specific questions around that issue, get parent feedback on the qualities that they'd like to see in a filtering system and then to the very best of our ability as we look at the themes of that data begin to identify what the right tools might be the piloting process that we'd intended for this spring uh, was in fact an opportunity to try to bring parents into the mix as we tr tried different strategies and had them give their feedback to us on so uh you know, that's something that we can definitely do as it's appropriate to the questions that we're trying to answer. I really appreciate you answering all these questions. Thank you. You're welcome. So I've got a couple more questions myself. Um, one of the things that I had noted in the materials that we received was that um, the repair time, the estimated repair time for the older devices um, moving into next year, um, we were looking at like an average of a two-week repair time. And when we had initially delayed the lease vote, um, that was a lifetime ago, six weeks ago or eight weeks ago, um, without all of these um, continuous learning from home scenarios in place. So 
next year if we are in a situation in which we have students learning from home, a two-week lag time for repair looks very, very different than if we had children in the buildings um, with access to their educator every day. So um, can I just get clarification that by moving to the new devices, we are reducing that repair lag time from, I think it was two weeks to uh, maybe like two days. Is that is that correct? Am I recollecting that? Yeah, I have Mr. Lane respond to that, uh, but before he does, I want to add this, you know, delaying for a year would have caused issues. There's no question about it. You know, we kind of did our risk analysis and thought, is this something that we could delay for a year? And, and the circumstances that we were dealing with eight weeks ago, the answer was, we'll, we'll make our way through it. But knowing that there were going to be these long delays and repairs, well, now we're not even sure what we're into for the summer. We're not sure what we're into for next year. And we have to be in a position where, whether it's print material or digital tools, that we're ready to go next year with 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 whatever reality we face, and be able to do it more robustly than we were able to do after one week of planning over spring break. So with that, I'll turn it over to Mr. Lane. Drew, what's the uh, length of what's the turnaround time on uh, for repairs uh, under the uh, under Apple Care? Thank you, Dr. Fulton. Mrs. Alza, let me break this into kind of two categories. The first category will be the under normal circumstances, because there are things we know about that process under normal circumstances. Refreshing the iPads definitely reduces that two-week repair period down back down to around the two-day mark. That that's because a the devices don't break down quite as often, and because they don't break down quite as often, our spare pool doesn't drain quite as fast. The longer we have the devices, we only carry so many spares because having too many spares means we have devices that sit on a shelf and do nothing for no one. They have almost no value there other than any of the store value you might have in the insurance that, okay, we have these devices. The longer we have the devices, the more of those spare devices we have to dip into, but that pool doesn't grow. And so that's where you start to see, and it, it, it would be a progression. It wouldn't, it wouldn't mean that in August, we automatically are at two week wait times for devices, but it would stretch to that in, in, a, in, pro, in a somewhat unknown period of time. As we dip into the spare pool, the number of devices that cannot be repaired goes up. So that depletes those numbers, those types of things. That's what the three year versus four year without planning for four years, that's what it causes. But to Dr. Fulton's point in the, in the current, one of the, one of the things that is still a, a challenge for us is an, uh, and an unknown right now is how do we deal with devices that are damaged at home right now? And I, I wish I could tell you that we had a really, really good idea of exactly how we're going to do that, but that's something we're still working on. We're still practicing social distancing and all those types of things, and and we're you know we're not we're being told to even avoid uh, contact mutual contact of of shared services and those types of things. There are so many unknowns in our logistical chain right now that's it's making it challenging for us to understand how to accomplish those things. So right now that that wait time 
I guess what I'm trying to say isn't necessarily so much about whether or not the device is new right now. Right now, it's more about the social distancing and the circumstance. But moving forward, if we were to carry the devices an additional year, we know that that will have an impact because the devices wear out, our spare pool becomes more shallow, and then our, our repair times will stretch out. Does that answer the question you asked? It does. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I have a follow-up question on the apps, um, maybe a couple follow-up questions on the apps. I know, I guess it was in February, um, Dr. Fulton had said that we were removing some of the apps. Um, I think it was YouTube and Netflix. Netflix, um, and that we were doing a kind of like a comprehensive app review um, to see what other apps could be removed or if there was apps we wanted to add, we would add. Um, and then I know just recently we had an app kind of sneak through on us. Uh, and so I was wondering if someone could speak to us with regards to the app review process, what that looks like. Um, and and do we have an idea of how many apps are going to be removed or, or what it takes for an app to be approved for um, use on the devices? Sure, I'll have Dr. Dennis speak to that. Thank you. And I'm going to ask Dr. Grumman to step in here. Actually, he heads that committee. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Uh, so part of what's happening right now, uh, the, the app committee is actually meeting twice per week at this point. And we are, at, at, at this point, our, our focus is uh, we are actually going through every app that's in manager and, and systematically like re-reviewing each of those. And one of the questions we are asking ourselves as we're thinking about what's there is, and, uh, and and seeing, for example, sometimes an app will have a student practicing a skill and we can see that we already know that maybe in another app or in another uh, place that, that, you know, there's duplication of skill practice in, in those apps. So we're, we're going through as we're going through uh, the, these apps and identifying ones that uh, we would um, not roll over into the, with, with the new, with the new devices. So they might be ones that are sitting there now, but we'll identify, I think we haven't quite decided on the timeline, but let's say over the summer, they would be they would disappear from the manager site and they would be unavailable for teachers to be able to deploy to student devices. Much of what we're seeing in there is, so far anyway, are, are apps where the, um, you know, the, the purpose of the app, the curricular purpose overlaps with other apps that are available. And that's so far the biggest reason why we're um, identifying some for elimination. There's other factors like uh, the amount of feedback that it provides, um, the uh, the number of skills that are available and and advertising, those sorts of things. But we're definitely systematically going through those existing apps at this point. And then I have another question on the apps. Um, it was mentioned to me that um, at some buildings, perhaps PTAs are able to raise money to purchase an app for the devices in their own building, but Perhaps the utilization of those apps, if, if the, just the building is purchasing it, then other buildings don't have access to that. Um, is that something that's occurring? Can someone speak to me about that with regards to if an individual building wants to purchase an app, how do they go about doing that? Um, does that create a equity concern if some buildings have access to apps that other buildings don't? I don't even know if it's, if it's happening. I just, if somebody could speak to that, that'd be great. Uh, so it does happen in in some areas where there are some um, 
building funded PTA funded apps out there that um, and I and I believe ICT has a way of managing paid apps versus um, the ones that are um, that are available to all. But um, it's there. They they still have to go through the usual the the same app review process as any other app. Um, but there are some out there that are um, paid and and deployed just to a specific building. Okay. Um. And then I feel like I had another. Oh, shoot. I know I have another question and I'm not thinking what it is. My apologies. I'll open it up. I'm not going to run through the list, but does anybody else have any further questions at this time? Um, the app review process, you had mentioned the app review process. What does that look like? Um, and that, that was Miss Borgman, if you're listening at home. So the 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 process runs through um, the help desk ticketing system. Uh, typically, a, a staff member, usually a teacher, would submit the request, and, and there's a, a number of questions that they have to answer. Uh, that request first goes to the building principal, um, and they have to review the request and, and say yes or no if they approve it. Then it then the next step comes to the uh, comes to the app committee. Um, we're actually um, uh, there's a, there's a rubric process that the, that that we're that we're following. It, you know, the first things that look we look for are the um, uh, uh, sort of the legal pieces like that. Is there account creation required? Um, if there is, what are some of the restrictions associated with the account creation? Um, uh, you know, does it require parent consent? Something along that line. Um, we do look at whether or not the app has advertising and to what extent sometimes the free apps will have a little bit of advertising on them. So there's a number of criteria along that line. And then we also look at the curricular relevance. Um, does it match the grade level um, and so on? And then um, if it makes it past the app review committee process, then it goes to uh, ICT for their review, um, which is, I think, the tech we'll look at some of the technical requirements to make sure it it um, you know that it can load on our devices and and that it that's not going to interfere with um, um, the the web filters and those sorts of things. And then from that point, it, it um, either goes in the to manager where teachers can then deploy it to student devices, or um, there are some instances where we choose to to push the app directly to to student devices. Dr. Fulton, may I add a note to that? On the when the, when the process goes through and it comes to ICT, we take a look at a couple of basic areas. First is function. Does the app function on our devices? Obviously, we want something out there that just won't run. The second thing we look at is from a security perspective. We look at the app to see, does it perform in a secure fashion? And one of the things that we look at is, does it harvest student data and send it to unknown parties? And as, as my colleagues in the leadership and learning can, can probably attest, there have been a number of times where we have gone back through and scrutinized an app's privacy policy, terms of service, terms of use, those types of things, and turned apps away because of the way they deal with student data. We take that very seriously. Dr. Grumman, can you share who is on that app review committee? Um, that was Ms. Hembree, right? Sorry, that was actually Dr. Hubbard. Oh, sorry. Thanks, Dr. Hubbard. Uh-huh. Okay, so on the app review committee, um, the 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 regular attendees, um, of course, are, are myself, and then we have Krista Carson, who's a, a, an elementary instructional coach, who's also 
um, receiving a stipend for um, uh, for um, uh, the name escapes me, but for for, for technology curricular development. Um, we also have uh, Lindsay Stevenson, who does similar, uh, uh, who's an instructional coach in, in the district at the secondary level, and and uh, she's also doing uh, building some instructional curriculum related to technology, primarily focused on the uh, at the secondary level. But they they are um, they both look at apps and other things from 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 as it, from a pre K through twelve perspective. Uh, other others are. Um, Dustin Springer, who's uh, an, another um, instructional coach, I believe is his current role. And then um, there are two other names. There's a building administrator and a another instructional coach. And I don't know why the name escapes me right now, but there's about approximately six persons on the committee. Um, Typically, four to six are meeting at any given time, and in this environment, there's some conflicts with uh, some other meetings and things. So, but typically, there are four of us um, meeting on a consistent basis. We also, depending on the apps, will pull in other CNI team members. Uh, uh, Darcy Swan, in particular, will seek advisement from her and or Aaron Smith, depending on whether it's a, an, a reading or 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 math related app. Um, if it's other with other content areas, music and so on, we'll, we we will consult with the, those other CNI staff members as needed. Thank you. Um, I recalled my final question. My apologies for not having it earlier. Um, I was heartened to hear that we have ninety three percent, ninety seven percent participation rates. Um, I would be curious to know how we're tracking, or if we're tracking, and what we're doing to reach the folks that don't have internet access at home, if we're looking at a way to expand internet access in certain hotspots or how we're thinking about addressing that moving forward. Because um, I know we've had discussions about how we have some of our students who, who just simply don't have access to the internet right now. Hello? I'll jump in on a small scale. Okay. I don't know that we I was have- I talking and I was muted, I apologize. <laughs> okay, I'll let Dr. Fulton go back. <laughs> No, that's that is uh, that is part of what our data collection process is going to involve is is finding out who does not have Wi-Fi access, and I think once we understand the scope of that at, at a pretty detailed level, then we can begin to think about context. What are solutions that we might be able to provide for students, both now, which is tough because as you know, these resources are really maxed out across the country, um, but we'll, we'll do what we can to provide kids with those resources. But going forward, if we get into the, get into the same issue in the fall or, or similar events in the future, think about what strategies we might be able to use to provide students with Wi-Fi access, particularly if uh, we get into a prolonged situation like this. I mean, usually, Students can, uh, if they don't have it exactly in their home or in their apartment, their house or in their apartment, then they can usually find it somewhere, uh, depending on the age of the child, of course. But uh, that's not always the case. I will, I will say this, too, that students with devices can access uh, Wi-Fi outside the schools, and we've tried to make folks aware of that if they go in the parking lot. They can access Wi-Fi there. Not, not the preferred approach. We understand, but 
it is an option for students if they need to exercise, if they need to use that as an option. Are families able to access um, some of the platforms on like a parent's cell phone? Like could they go to Google Classroom or to Skyward or to some other, you know, um, district platform on their cell phone if they don't have internet access in the home? I'll have to have uh, one of the other team members answer that question. So absolutely on most of our, most, most of our things. Um, I would also add that kind of going back to the original question, Heather, in regards to access, our, our most immediate priority was working on kids taking college credit because that is one group of kids, anyone that's enrolled in an AP course or a College Now course, they have to continue the learning and they will continue to take grades. That's one exception in our continuous learning plan. So we were really focused initially on finding out the kids taking college credit and which of those kids needed access. And I know Darren and um, Drew met with some people trying to look for hotspots for kids and, and we ran into dead ends there, but we are looking at still at, at options for kids that don't have internet access. But what we did find is that, um, it, to my knowledge, we still are at zero high school kids taking college credit that don't have some sort of access. And in some cases, that might be the neighbor's house that the neighbor let them jump on by giving them the password. It might be that I'm going to one of our schools um, and setting and doing my work there. Days like today, that's not a great answer. Days like we had last week, I mean, it's, it's actually a pretty successful answer, especially for high school kids. But again, um, and Darren, you can jump in here, but the latest data that I have, we have zero kids taking college credit or AP that don't have some sort of access to be able to continue their coursework. I, Is that so accurate? I believe that to be a true statement. Um, I don't have any data that says otherwise, so I believe that's, that's correct. We have talked to some folks, um, and Drew might be able to speak more to this, but there are a number of programs out there, internet service providers that have offered um, access or devices, but they had limited supply apparently, and, and we, those dried up pretty quickly. But we are continuing to work on kids that, that need access and a percentage of kids that have access I'm getting really good informal numbers back from principals um, at all three levels. So um, again, it's not formal data yet, but we're gonna be working on the formal data in the next several weeks. But the informal data is really very, very positive. The other thing that I would tell you, we had pre-K through second grade iPad pickup um, as early as like 10 days ago and today being the most recent and um, most schools are really close to 100% pickup. So parents, um, you know, were able to pick those up. Um, I, the lowest that I heard at Building Stay is 95%, but I have numerous principals that reported 100% pickup of pre-K-2 iPads. So I thought that was a really positive sign as well. Those are all pretty heartening numbers. Um, and that's the most important part, right, is that the kids have access to their educator uh, so if for some reason a family does not have internet access and they need help assisting or need assistance in accessing it, um, are we recommending then that they contact like their school social worker and their principal and then they'll work with you guys to, to work on getting that addressed? 
Well, I would say reach out to their teacher and uh, to their principal. We'll do what we can in the background to support that need. Uh, but as it was mentioned, it's getting more and more difficult to find uh, ways to provide access um, just because so many of the, the different options have already been used up for uh, not just by schools, but obviously by anyone trying to do work from home. So mm -hmm. we'll do the very best we can to work with the family to see if we can't find a solution. Dr. Fulton, if I could add a note to that. Sure. There's there's one thing here. I want to try to find the, the silver lining in every cloud and recognizing the current circumstances is a pretty big, dark cloud. So any silver lining we can find there is great. For a number of years, the United States has really kind of lagged behind the rest of the world in terms of access to, to, to broadband internet access for the entire population. Mm. This current circumstance, you're starting to see, I think it's another one of those moments of inertia. It's, it's, it's a prompt for us to change in a way that was challenging for us as a nation to change before. Because we see things like at the state level, some legislation around helping rather than, rather than forcing, helping providers and consumers make connections with each other for broadband access. I also think we're going to see this filter out into, into our rural areas, into areas that have traditionally been underserved. Because I, if nothing else, and, and again, a bit of speculation on my part, a bit of opinion on one person's part, so take it for what it is. But if nothing else, the current circumstance has shown us how important it is to look at internet access as if it were a utility and not entertainment. And I think that will make a difference for us in the near and, and, and long term. I really do. That's a great point. Thank you. Um, I'll go ahead. One more opportunity. Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Fulton. Related. Um, Dr. Fulton, could you speak to the, I know you have daily conversations with the folks at the county, with the area superintendents. Can you speak to what, um, where this uh, conversation with internet access has um, currently at with Kind of the countywide efforts and and where you all where the county and this area superintendent see this as a priority for this fourth round of federal support you know and i'm kind of linking back to the conversation that kasb was facilitating around the e-rate component of the next round of federal support sure we haven't gone deep into that conversation yet but we all recognize that having an access, having access to, to internet is uh, important in terms of being able to engage, whether it's commerce or doing a job application or, or uh, doing research or learning online. Um, we also recognize this, that technology, while it's a wonderful tool or can be a wonderful tool, never replaces a teacher that teachers are at the heart and soul of the learning process and that this is a tool you use to support that process. And so I think this is gonna draw everybody's attention to what does great instruction look like? How do we help the use of practices that ensure that students are ready for life when they graduate from high school and 
you know, while tonight that discussion has been around primarily technology, it really is part of a much, much bigger uh, local and national conversation around teaching and learning and what do we need to do to make sure every child's ready for what's mm -hmm. going to be a very, very different future. But clearly having access to information is, uh, is really important, probably as important as having an access to a road. It is, it is a new form of a highway, right? So it's, it's, a, it's an issue that we need to, to keep talking about and address. Hi, Ms. Henry, and I just had a question because it was briefly mentioned. Are families who are unable to access internet at home, are our school Wi-Fi capabilities still on such that kids in the vicinity of school buildings would be able to tap into district Wi-Fi? They can, if they go into the parking lots, and I can't guarantee this in every single spot in the parking lot or every single case, but in general, if you go into the parking lot of our schools with one of our devices, you'll be able to connect. Now, uh, Mr. Lane and others, if I'm wrong, correct me. No, Dr. Fulton, you're, you're correct. It is, it is somewhat, um, it, it does vary from building to building. Some of our buildings are, are a little bit further away from residences, so we can kind of quote unquote, turn the power up more there and not interfere with residences around. In other places, um, our, our buildings are very close to residences, so we have to be very careful about how, how high we turn the power up. And then there, there are limits to the technology itself. Only bloom those, um, those clouds so large or becomes problematic that way. So uh, we, we did do some work. Um, very tail end of spring break, right into the very beginning of the first week of continued learning to go into our buildings and and uh, broaden our cells. Um, but Dr. Fulton does make a valid point. It It is, it does vary from building to building based on circumstance and capability. And some, sometimes, honestly, some of it is the construction of the building. Some buildings are constructed of materials that allow the signal to bleed out better than others. So there's there's, there's those pieces as well. Yeah, that's great at a minimum for families to know. Well, it seems like we may actually have reached the end of the questions. Um, if, once. If, if I may make a, a, a final comment. Yes, please. And also, uh, thank you very much. Of, in light of this grand conversation, which I think has been great, one of the things that I want to, uh, again, express my appreciation for our uh, parents. I know uh, all the parents are working really hard under difficult circumstances to help their children as best they can. Our teachers are doing a phenomenal job. Uh, when you run into issues like we are this week and next week where if somebody has print material that they'd like to receive and uh, they can't get it because the schools are closed, that's frustrating. We understand that. We don't want that. Uh, but as Dr. Hubbard was explaining, um, because we're at the peak, want to provide some extra caution and care for everyone to make sure that they're safe. And that as soon as we can begin to get print materials back to people, we will do so. If you have a broken uh, device and you need a new device, please let somebody know. Please let somebody know about print materials, your teacher, your principal, and as quickly as we can get those things uh, to you, prepared, replaced, or just provided, we'll that as well. And to the, uh, so to the staff, 
to the parents. And I want to do a shout out for the students too, because they're they're working hard under difficult conditions uh, as well. So I just want to thank uh, thank everyone for their good work and for you as a board for your support of uh, parents, students, and teachers in this process as well. Thank you, and thank you to everybody tonight who presented on this topic. Um, it looks like we're ready to move on to items four under the consent agenda, uh, consent items. Um, three of those were discussed during the um, continuous learning program evaluation. Um, so I'll ask now if there's any consent items folks would like to have removed. Hearing none, I'm going to seek a motion to approve the consent items. Move approval. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. I'll seek a second. I'll second, Dr. Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 I'll ask if there are any opposed. Hearing none, that passes 6-0. And we'll move to the action items. The first action item on the agenda is 5-1, the approval for the digital learning service iPad device refresh. Um, I'll seek a motion for approval of this item. Move approval. Thank you, Mr. Stratton, and I'll seek a second. I'll second. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. And I'm gonna open it up for discussion if anybody wants to discuss at this time, and I'll run through our list of names really quick to make sure I'm not missing anybody. Um, Reverend Guy, do you have anything to say to this item prior to our vote? No, I don't, thank you. Thank you. Mr. Stratton, do you have anything to say to this item? No, I don't, thank you. Thank you. Dr. Sinclair, do you have anything to say to this item? I'm good now, thank you. Thank you. Ms. Hembry, do you have anything to add at this time? I would just share the, the thanks um, for everyone who presented earlier in the meeting and just say that I, um, I personally am supportive of renewing this iPad lease because I think it is a really critical tool to get instruction to our kids in this really uncertain environment. And I'm especially concerned that the value of these devices is actually most important for our most vulnerable students. Um, but none of that negates to me the need for us to really do a deep dive evaluation of the one-to-one -one devices. So um, I'm voting, I will vote yes on this, but I, I really think it's important that we don't lose sight of that bigger picture evaluation that we really look at how they're being used day to day in a classroom setting. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Boardman, do you have anything you'd like to say to this item at this time? Um, I'm gonna ditto what Ms. Hembry said. Um, I just, you know, prior to this pandemic, um, my feelings and thoughts on this, you know, would have been entirely different. Um, however, given the situation that we're in currently and not knowing what the next 18 to 24 months are gonna look like, um, I feel like this is a really critical time um, to take another look at this. And just with the, you know, the, the cost savings of $1.75 million, I mean, that's, you know, that's, we're gonna need every penny, I think, in the future. So um, I think from a cost saving perspective as well, this, you know, is something strongly to consider, so. Thank you. All right, at this time, I will ask for all those in favor to please say aye. 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 And then if there are any opposed, I'll have your nays at this time. Hearing none, the item passes 
And we will move on to 5-2, which is the approval of a proposal language changes to the parents' as teachers' personnel policies for the 2019-2020 school year. Um, Dr. Fulton, do you have anything to say to this item? Um, I do not. This was, uh, well, it was agreed to by, uh, by both groups. Okay. Well, I'll seek a motion for approval at this time. I move approval. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Is there a second? I'll second. Was that Ms. Embry? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, it passes 6-0. And we'll move on to 5-3, approval for the updated proposal language for the changes to the school psychologist personnel policies. Uh, Dr. Fulton, do you have anything to say on this item? Um, again, it was agreed to by both groups. Great. All right, I will seek a motion for approval. So moved. Was that Ms. Henry? Thank you, um, and I'll seek a second. Borgman, second. Thank you, Ms. Borgman. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes 6-0. And then we'll move on to 5-4, the approval of revised board policy, JCDBB. This is the second and final reading. I'll get the motion in the second, and then Jessica, if you have anything to say to this, since you're on that committee, I'll have you say it at that time. Um, so I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Is there a second? I'll second. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Um, Jessica, did you have anything to add to this based off of what this is already the second reading and we had discussed it a little bit in the last meeting? The only thing I'd say is that we haven't heard any feedback in between the first and second reading. It sounds like there was no additional feedback to the policy. Great, thank you. Um, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, uh, passes 6-0. And we'll move on to 5-5. Five, five. Approval of revised board policy, um, JDDA, the drug-free schools policy. Um, I'll just do the same thing again. I'll seek the motion for approval. I'll move. I think that was Dr. Sinclair. Um, and then I will seek a second. Workman second. Thank you, Ms. Bergman. Um, and Ms. Embry, I'll turn to you again as you're on the committee. Yeah, this is a second reading. We're updating our policy to reflect the model policy suggested by KASB. And there has been no additional feedback between the first reading and now. Could I direct a question to Dr. Fulton? Of course. Just uh, if you wouldn't mind commenting, I think both of these um, updates to the, the policy uh, the have implications for some of the work being done to clarify the kind of behavioral components of this, of coding, um, of, of improving our practices around defining the, be, uh, the disciplinary. I'm about to call. Hang on a second. Around a student guide for uh, for discipline. Excuse me. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so. But these policies have implications for more of the discipline code, the discipline um, protocols. Is that correct? And That's correct. Those, it's, a, it's really the substance of that. Of this is really kind of having the 
clarity of the definition and being able to um, apply them consistently, and the consequences for those consistently. That is, is absolutely correct. You know, board board policy uh, reflects uh, state requirements uh, as long as local expectations, local expectations. But these policies are definitely uh, designed to make sure that we are in compliance with state guidelines, and they are they do serve as a foundation for developing a student code of conduct, if you will student discipline guide, which is something that we will be bringing to you later this year. Thank you. Later this school year in the next, in the next month. Yeah. We want to have safe schools, but we also want to have, um, we don't want to have a punitive kind of culture created by having with our policies as well. So finding that balance, I think, is important to continue to work with our policies and protocols to yeah. create that. Yeah, policy deals with the big picture structure of things and in the, in the handbook, it becomes something that's more procedural and informs uh, students as well as parents on what the expectations are. Thank you. On that note, I'll ask all those in favor to say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none at this time, that passes 6-0. And now we've made it to board comments portion of the evening. Um, I will run through the list to make sure I don't miss anyone, if that's okay. Um, I'll start with Ms. Boardman. Do you have any comments for this evening? Yeah, I wanna just give a couple shout outs. I just think it's great to see um, teachers and principals trying to engage their students and fun and creative ways. Um, some specific examples of that, Mr. Orr, the Krista McAuliffe principal, um, challenged his students and um, parents to review 100 books this last week. And if the McAuliffe community did that, he would um, ride his daughter's bike, Evil Knievel style, and try to jump over his swimming pool um, to celebrate um, you know, kids and parents reviewing a hundred books and he did it on Facebook live and it was really fun. And it just, you know, anything we can do right now, I think to put a smile on each other's faces, it was very sweet. It was a great way to engage, um, the McAuliffe community. And so I just a huge shout out to him as well as all the other teachers and principals, again, just trying to do things to make life a little bit, um, happier um and then i uh, saw um also on a mcauliffe email there is telemed counseling for students um i love that i love that we're starting to address those social emotional learning um components for kiddos right now it's such an important thing um and then there was also a phenomenal community resources page that um, helped families with buying food pantries mental health services, it had activity ideas, and um, if parents have lost their jobs, um, emergency assistance. So I just really applaud all of the work that the Shawnee Mission community is doing to, you know, to try to bring joy to people's lives, but also support people um, and meet people where they're at. So great job, Shawnee Mission. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Hembree, do you have any final comments for this evening? No, I would just say I'm super proud of our district and our community over the last few weeks. I think we've really shown who we are and I'm proud of who we are. 
Thank you. Dr. Sinclair, do you have any final comments for tonight? Um, I appreciate, um, I assume all of us received our Inside Shawnee Mission edition. I wanted to acknowledge the work of the communications team and all those folks who put together that um, um, magazine for folks to look through and see what's happening. So hitting different mediums of sharing communication through social media, through hard copy, through emails and text. So I appreciate the, take a look if you haven't, look for the Inside Shawnee Mission. And then I also wanted to um, uh, encourage folks to continue to follow our student um, journalists. Uh, it was just, um, it's impressive that they're still pushing out um, articles and, and um, so uh, applause to the student journalists as well. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Stratton, do you have any final comments for this evening? No additional comments. Thanks. Thank you. And Reverend Guy, do you have any final comments for this evening? I just want to echo what everyone else has been saying that I'm so proud of the efforts of everyone, the teachers and the administrators and the parents and the students and the community members who have all come together to help our students. And um, I know it's been hard on parents, especially the ones that are trying to work from home and help their kids learn from home. And um, I know it's tough. And I just want to say we, we appreciate all your efforts to help. And it's okay to have some downtime and just have some family fun time. And the kids are going to be okay. So thank you to everyone for all that you've been doing. And uh, go Shiny Mission. It's, it's been really wonderful to see people come together. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I have two shout outs this evening. Um, I wanted to say thank you to Dan Robeson, who is the uh, Assistant Director for Emergency Services for Johnson County. Um, he is a SMSD dad and he is working 20 hours a day right now, seven days a week. I don't think he's had a day off in about 30 days. Um, and I know there's a lot of people just like him behind the scenes, putting in a lot of time and effort to make sure that our community is safe. And because um, they're not elected or because we don't know who they are, we don't know who to send those thank yous to. So um, I really want to send a thank you to Dan tonight for all the efforts he's been doing to coordinate the county's response. It's really appreciated. And then I want to send a thank you, if I may, to um, personal point of privilege to my youngest third grade teacher. Um, I am one of those parents trying to work from home as an attorney full-time with three children learning online at home. So I understand that it is difficult. Um, and I was on a conference call with some folks um, in my chain of command when I heard some chickens in my kitchen. Um, my family got some chickens during this time at home. and. I thought, why are there chickens in my kitchen? And my youngest had apparently gone outside and brought the chickens inside to share with his class via WebEx. Um, and the third grade teacher handled it like a champ. And I thought, my goodness, when you're trying to discipline little <laughs> people and you don't even have the benefit of being in the room with them. Um, so was, that, was, that was delightful. Um, a little bit of science, I think. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> I really... I really appreciate her efforts um, and all of our educators' efforts. She's meeting with 
his class every day for an hour, and that is his connection to his friends and to a grown-up he cares about. And uh, I know the learning is happening, even if it's not the way we want it to be happening. Um, and I just want to give grace to everyone in our community right now, because honestly, at the end of the day, if what we're providing is the connection for our kiddos to get through this um, feeling healthy and happy and whole, then honestly, a pat on the back to everyone in our community for doing that. Um, your work is in providing as much normalcy as possible is very much appreciated, um, as normal as it can be to have chickens in your kitchen. So <laughs> on that note, um, our next regular meeting of the Board of Education will be on April 27th, 2020. So online and digital. Um, Shawnee Mission board members typically attend many meetings, but at the moment are not, although we do have a board calendar that is available online. So I hope everyone has a lovely evening this evening and a safe and happy and healthy week ahead. Please stay home during this, the dangerous peak time for our community. Um, I guess with that, we are adjourned and may log out of this meeting. Good night, guys. Good night. Thank you.